Please open your Bibles with me to the book of Luke, in the second chapter of the book of Luke. Once again, thank you for being in the Lord's house on Lord's Day. Luke chapter 2, verse 21, it says, And when eight days were accomplished, For the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost, that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation." which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. She was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. She coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Israel. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned unto Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. I want you, if you would, look back up in the Verse 25, it says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And I want to speak to you this evening on the, uh, the great combination. Subtitle to it is Just and Devout. It's amazing. A couple of things that the Lord did regarding the birth of Christ. You realize that uh, when Jesus came to this earth, when God took upon Himself the form of man and the flesh, came to this earth, there, were not, there was not a fanfare, there was not the sounding of trumpets, 
Um, there was not a, uh, a, a big uh, parade or something saying he was here. And God compensated, if you will, for the uh, humble birth and where he was by sending angels to announce a birth, by causing shepherds to come and attend to it. And so God did not allow his son to come to the world without uh, some kind of a uh, some kind of a recognition of what was going on. And then here when Christ was being brought, at eight days old, he's being brought to the temple and they were going to do these things that was common for every Jewish young male, every Jewish child, uh, male child. This, this was a common thing. And there may have been any number of Jewish children there that day. Uh, there may have been any number of parents who brought their, their children to the temple on that particular day. And yet God made it special by sending two people to testify of what was going on. One was Simeon, and the other one was Anna. And so God honored His Son through these simple and humble means, uh, even though the world was not taking notice of what was going on at all at that time. But the Lord was. And He, had, he has a way of doing those sort of things. But I want you to look here. Simeon's an amazing fellow. Um, he was uh, preserved by the Lord in his life and promised by God that he wouldn't die until he'd seen the Lord's Christ. That's quite a promise. God had told him, you're not going to die until you see my Savior, until you see the Messiah come. And Simeon was there at the temple that day. And when Mary and Joseph came in and brought in Jesus, like I said, who knows how many male Jewish children Simeon had seen brought to that temple. Who knows? I mean, he's an older man. That was a common, everyday thing that was going on. But yet he knew it was the Christ. He was there at the right time. And he took him in his arms. He saw him. He said the statement, which I love. I have verse 30 marked in my Bible. I hope, uh, if, unless it's something to you that you find slightly offensive to do in the Word of God, but you'd be benefited by marking your Bible. I encourage you towards it. Uh, I believe almost every week in my readings, I, as I'm going in, I find something I've marked in years gone by. And I'll have a little note, also see such and such. I'll have something underlined and catching my attention. I'll go research those and then it'll bring back anew things that God taught me and blessed me with before. And you can learn, you can learn to help teach yourself from the Bible by when God shows you things, marking them so that you can come back to them again. But verse 30 I have marked in my Bible. Look at it. What, what Simeon said, he said, Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. What he saw there was Jesus. I loved it. The Greeks that came and said, Sirs, we would see Jesus. <laughs> what a great request. And here Simeon said, I've seen thy salvation. Isn't that amazing? He didn't see an empire built. He didn't see a religion established. He saw the person of Jesus Christ. Salvation is in the person of Christ. And uh, not some religious observance with it. But I want you to look and uh, verse 25. Simeon is, is described here. And of course I could take time to talk about Anna. She certainly is worthy of attention. But I want you to notice it says in the middle of verse 25, the same man was just and devout. We're going to be exploring those two things with him. Like I said, it's a great combination and describes him. But look at part of the reason why he was 
these things. It's right after that. It says, whose name was Simeon, verse 25, excuse me. The same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. Part of the reason that he was just and devout, these two great characteristics and combination in him, was because it was waiting on what God had for him. He wanted to know the Lord. Pretty amazing. Now, I love to read and reread the account of how Charles Spurgeon got saved. And uh, how many of you know that name? Charles Spurgeon is a preacher in the 1800s. And uh, mildly used the Lord for many years. He actually went home to be the Lord when he was 56 years of age. Suffered terribly from severe gout. And of course, living in London was not the best place for that type of illness. He would, he would go down to Mentone, France. And towards the latter number of years in his ministry, a good number of years, he would be gone two to three months at a time out of his pulpit. And the church there in London, the Metropolitan Tabernacle, prayed consistently around five, 6,000 people every week. That was completely unheard of. The largest Baptist congregation in the world. And when he would come back from being gone, the church would have grown. There were men who would preach the Word. There were the, what they called the laymen in the church that were so faithful for that work to go on. There's never been a great work. And I'm not talking about size. I'm talking about it could be large, it could be not as large, but I'm talking about really great in the eyes of the Lord. There's never been a great work in any church where you did not have the people of God working in concert with the, with the man of God as the pastor, as the leader. If those two things are not pulling together, then you'll never see the kind of strength that God wants in any particular congregation, any particular church. Well, there at the Metropolitan Tabernacle, they, had, uh, they, they, they saw remarkable things happen. Uh, with that, but but here's the thing about it: How did he get saved? He was he was the grandson of a congregational minister, nonconformist minister. And you understand the Church of England is what we call Episcopalian Church in America, but it's Anglican Church, and it came from the Church of England. It was illegal not to be in that church. It's a state church at that time. You could be fined for not being in it. They would they do taxation things on on people who were not a part of the established church. And uh, Spurgeon's grandfather was a nonconformist minister. That's what they called the fellows who would preach the Bible and refuse to be a part of the Church of England because they had conviction against what was nothing but Roman Catholicism without the Pope. And they would not partake of that. They knew they were not Protestant people. They had not come out of the Roman Catholic system. They were Bible-believing people. And there's always been the lineage of Bible-believing people. They've had different names down over the years. There's been different groups down over the years. But this mistaken idea that all the churches came out of Rome, no, Rome was a perversion of Christianity and in a distortion that brought in mysticism and brought in mystic religion and tied it in to the worshiping of the mother and child together, praying to saints, indulgences, uh, uh, the, the capacity of the priest to forgive sin, and on and on I could go. But there's always been a large number of people. They never came out of that. They didn't protest that and come out. They were never part of it. They were Bible-believing people who believed salvation was by the grace of God. Believed the Bible was the only final authority for Scripture. Not in Ecclesiastes. The gold structure. And so Spurgeon came up in that background, but he wasn't saved. And he talked about how conviction came on him as a young man. 
He wasn't saved. And he was in the wintertime there in London. He was trying to go to a particular meeting and he couldn't get to it. Now that's hard to believe. They're on foot. But there was snow and the weather was so bad he said it was just terrible. And there was a primitive Methodist chapel. Now the Methodist groups were uh, much younger then, of course. And he, he, it's a primitive Methodist chapel and when he saw it, he decided to turn in because there were lights in there. And, you know, they could tell something was going on. And when he came in, the pastor was not able to make it to that service. But the few good people of the church that were there kept the service open. And one of the men who was a deacon or, or such in that church said, well, the pastor's not here, but somebody ought to get up and say a few words from the, from the Word of God. Well, they had a area kind of like this over here, except it had some seating above it, and they called it the galleys underneath there, or the gallery, they would call it under there. The galleys in the ship. The gallery in there. And uh, they, uh, he, he was in there and uh, said that man got to preaching. And he said he got to preaching as only the old primitive Methodists could preach. He preached with a holler and preached with the strength of his voice. And he said he didn't know really how to preach or anything, but he took his text Look unto me and be ye saved, all ye ends of the earth. And he said, that's the answer. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And then he said with that voice, he said he pointed where Spurgeon was back there by himself. And he said, young man in the gallery, look to Jesus. And uh, Spurgeon said at that moment, my heart looked to Jesus and I understood that salvation was in him alone. And he said it's been looking ever since. And what a work God did through that life. And what went on? Hey, when Simeon was holding Jesus and he looked at Jesus, he said, mine eyes have seen thy salvation. That's what God is. And by the way, he said, boy, I'd like to have been able to see Jesus. Well, if you're saved one day, you will see Him face to face. But until then, uh, we have a very wonderful portrait of Him. And uh, thank God as we, we understand Him and learn about Him. But Simeon was just and devout. Um, he, part of the reason for this, he was waiting on the consolation of Israel. And then look at verse 25 again. It said not only that, but it says the Holy Ghost was upon him. Now you understand Christ obviously was there as a baby, so he wasn't crucified yet. He had not been buried, had not risen. After Christ was buried and risen, 40 days later, he ascended, he went back up to heaven. He had told and taught his disciples that when he went away from this earth, he would send the Holy Ghost to them. The Holy Ghost is God, even as Christ is, but He comes to dwell inside of us. This was a new thing. See, God would come upon people, and He might come off people. But now, since Christ is risen, since Christ is ascended, we can say the Holy Ghost of God comes to live inside of us. No longer is there a temple made with hands, but we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Our body is. And so... This man had the Holy Ghost of God upon him. I had this thought with that. It's, it, it's, a, uh, it's an amazing thing. That heavenly dove, which is the representation of the Holy Ghost, much like the dove in the ark of Noah. You remember when Noah first sent that dove out, it went out, but it found nowhere where the sole of its foot could light. What did it do? It came back to Noah. Remember what else was sent out? There was another bird sent out. Right? It did not come back. He said, why? That dove was a clean thing. It was not a scavenger like that raven. It wasn't going to eat on things that were dead after that flood. And when it had nowhere clean to land, where it had nowhere appropriate to land at that time, it came back. And then later it was sent and it went. And, and then it had somewhere to go. 
The Holy Spirit of God in the Bible is represented, the representation is given to us by God as a dove. May I say to you that God apparently, on this old man named Simeon, apparently God had found a place where he could light. That means he was clean. That means he was pure. That means, that means he, he was in concert with the heart and the directions of God. In other words, the Holy Ghost was upon him. He wasn't grieving God. You know, Anna, we read about her. She, uh, she was there and God led her as to what to say and she testified about the Lord when, when she saw Christ. Can I say something to you about these two? And Anna, by the way, this lady was old. I mean, when you look at what that says there, uh, the, it's, it says, uh, let me find Anna. There's Anna. Okay, look, look at what it says in verse 36. She was of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age. Had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. She was married for seven years and she was a widow of about four score uh, and four years. She was married for seven years. She was a widow for 84 years. That puts that sister at 91. Man, I know they married early, but you can't marry early enough to be young at that calculation. If she got married at 15 years old, which would not be any, any ridiculous stretch in that time, but if she got married at 15 years old, that sister right there is 106. That's some amazing stuff. The oldest person I've ever met. I almost said the oldest living person I've ever met. That is such a dumb statement. I'm glad I filtered it. Uh, the oldest person. I met someone who was dead. And anyway, no, I didn't meet them. Uh, but, you know, it's like we say this. You know, so-and-so said before he died. Yeah. yeah. When else? But anyway, it's <laughs> the oldest person I ever met was a lady in a nursing home an 11-story nursing home in Chicago called the Chevy Chase Nursing Home. That's good. Brother Darren and I were preaching there on every floor of that nursing home on a big day. And uh, I'd preach one, he'd lead singing, and then we'd swap and we'd go down and work through them. But this lady was 106 years old. Elderly black lady. Very sharp mentally. Very enthusiastic. When I started preaching, she had this old voice... And she's, she's doing just like this. I can't do it musically like she did. She goes, uh-huh, preach. And I start preaching. She goes, come on, preach. Tell them the truth, preacher. And she liked to preach me to death. <laughs> 106 years old. She was exciting. I loved it. But here's the thing I want you to see. Anna's praising God. You have Simeon. And the Holy Ghost is upon him. They had come to... Age, they had come to old age without being shackled by the bonds of bitterness. They were still loving God and looking for what God had for them. I absolutely love it when people are looking for what God has for them. And so they'd done these things just and devout. You say, What's the thing of just? Well, he was described that way. Well, just is being careful and complete. In the observance of God's law. That's one aspect of being just. It's, called, it's being even and equitable in dealing with others. By the way, those two things, one helps the other a great deal. When we're careful and complete to observe God's law and do what God wants in our life, very much helps us, very much uh, 
gives us strength to be even and equitable with how we deal with others. Um, it means to be upright, to be honest. Shows integrity in the dealings. It's a great combination. This man was just. He, he was very honest. He would have been, he'd been somebody you'd like to have done business with. I enjoyed in our transaction here with this uh, property back here, and each, each section that we dealt with, what I liked. When we talked, literally it was a handshake. Okay, here's what we're planning on doing. The first time, uh, well, both times I told him, but I pretty well knew the second one would be definite go. Both times I told him, uh, uh, Paul understood, I explained to him how the mechanics of things work in the church here with this. And I said, Paul, I only have one vote on that. I said, I need to present it to the church. But you and I, if the church goes on, here's what we want to do. Here's what we want to do. And that was it. They call and say, here's the update. Here's where we are in the progress. All right. Hey, here's the date we're closing. Need you to show up? That's what he did. He came, okay, I have the money. Here we are. What was going on? I love being able to deal with somebody where you didn't have to have 15 lawyers pinning them down. They said, I'll do this. And he told me, you know, we had a little bit of delay while we were getting a couple things done. He told me, we were talking, and I said, here's what the time frame's looking like because we have to be, have city engineer approval and, and this stuff, which is no big deal. It just took a little bit of time. And I said, here's what we're looking at. And he goes, oh, that's fine. He said, the day after we agreed on that, you told me the church agreed on that, he said, I went ahead and transferred funds over so that'll be ready. You know, that, deal with somebody, just here's how we do things. That's the way Simeon was. Simeon, that's the kind of fellow you'd like to do business with. By the way, God wants us to be just. And the main reason we should be just is because we're justified. Um, God's made us just as if we had never sinned. What was the name of that song y'all sang this morning? I never heard that before. When you saved me. Pardon? When you saved me. That would make sense with the words in it, but I didn't know when he saved me. And he forgave. He knew what I had done. And he knew what I would do. Amazing stuff. And being justified, being made just in God's eyes. There's no man that can make himself just in God's eyes. You ever use that language and hear somebody say, they're just trying to justify themselves. You know? Well, this happened, but... And I, you know, I love that. You ever do that when you were a kid? You're, you got, you know, done something and you got caught on it. Yeah, but... you point at somebody else over here. Yeah, it's a good plan. Um, but being just in God's eyes, how will a man justify himself to God? Or as it asks him, how will a man be just before God? Will we justify ourselves to God? We can't do that. We don't, we don't, have, we don't have the untarnished record. And you know, it isn't, we say that, it's, it's not just like we've missed it by this much. Well, you know, nobody's perfect. I haven't quite. I hear that. And I'm not when y'all hear that. Well, nobody's perfect. I haven't quite been perfect. I'm thinking, what a gross, painful thing that is to think that somehow we are about that close. Yeah, it's good. Good thing God filled in the gap because I'm just about that much. Really? No. That's really not the way it is. But yet, when we're saved by grace of God, when the grace of God, we understand Jesus' righteousness is our covering, 
We're made just before God. We can come before God and uh, we don't have to offer excuse. We realize we don't have a defense. And literally, as our great song says, Jesus paid it off. Why can you stand here? Because of Christ. That's all. By the way, that's acceptable to God. That's accepted in the beloved. And so he was just. But here's the great combination. He was not only just, but he was devout. He didn't just have the mechanics of the things down. I was, my wife and I were talking today at lunch. We, we did that thing. You ever do this when you get to lunch late? Uh, we, we, we call it screensaver mode. The good discussion actually starts. Sometimes, literally, I'll say, after we get food. Why? Because I'm a lot safer to talk to after we get food. <laughs> my, my answers will be more coherent, for sure, if we get food. You say, well, that's not very spiritual. My spiritual part's not the hunger part. It's the physical part. But we were, we, we were talking today, and it was, uh, uh, we were talking about this thing as far as, I forget what we were talking about. I just distracted myself. What was I talking about? Do you know? If you know, come preach. Because my mind's pretty much gone. I know what I was talking about. We were, we were talking, we were laughing and, and, and about how people approach things of truth. And I told my wife, I said, she was talking about how we, are, we were mutts when we went to Bible college. Because a lot of people we knew in Bible college came from independent Baptist churches and been trained in them and knew basically how things worked. And her background had been Nazarene. She had got saved there. Uh, I got saved in First Church of God. We'd come from that. So we were kind of mutts. We were coming from, you know, outside of it. And I told her, I said, it's even more so than that. I said, because I think it's a wonderful thing that my wife was raised in church. That's what she knew from the youngest age. And there's a tremendous advantage to that. The heart will stay tender to the, toward the Lord. I love that. But I told her, I said, hon, I said, you do. There's no way. It's not a put down. But you don't know what it's like to have no knowledge of that. None. You have no knowledge of it. It's not part of your life. You don't know anything about that book. Nothing. Literally nothing. And you hear me say that. And, oh, okay. No, no. You don't know. You don't know the basic stories. You don't know any of the doctors. You don't know any of it. And then God allows you to be under conviction of your sin before you even know what that is. And graciously, someone comes by with the great news that Jesus Christ loves you. You have a Heavenly Father who loves you. Who wants to be your Heavenly Father. God your Creator. And then you get in, you open this book up, and you're like, whoa! You wouldn't believe... Some of you understand this. The distortions I've been being taught in the public school with the, uh, uh, the evolution from species to species and man coming from uh, a, a primitive state and the idea of some type of a big bang going on and that created everything and the ridiculous time frames they talk about and such... And I mean, I could spout it out. I'm good at remembering systems. I'm good at taking in information. And you know, I didn't hear a single sermon on that at first. Nothing about it. But as soon as I started getting in the Word, I started looking around. Some of the other stuff I wasn't even going to. The philosophy stuff I like to read and some of the other whacked out stuff I was into literarily. And I, as soon as I got in that book, it was like, it ripped that apart. I looked at it and said, that makes no sense. That makes no sense. Why? Because all of a sudden there's a framework to understand by. 
And then you start going through and you start seeing things and you're like, that's why that works like that. That's why that was going. That's why that went there. You can have all the knowledge. I was at the preacher's breakfast, I think a couple of years ago, when we have on uh, the Tuesday morning, and we meet early, all the preachers that are here at the conference on Tuesday morning, missionaries that are left. Uh, this year we invited Brother Nips, and he'd come over, so he got to come be a part of it. And we just have our pre- preacher's breakfast, we have for him at 8 in the morning before we come in for that 10 o'clock service uh, in, the, in the morning on Tuesday. And uh, as we were meeting together in that a couple of years ago, Brother Jenkins and Brother Greg were talking about some different things, and I got laughing. And uh, they said, "Why are you laughing about?" I said, "You thoroughbreds are amusing to me at times." And they said, "What do you mean, Brother Randy?" And we started talking about it. I said, "You just look at things differently." I said, "Guys, yeah, people in your church have a clue what you're talking about here, what?" And, and, and so we had this great conversation because those two guys are not. It doesn't bother them for somebody to talk very very openly with them and such. But here's the point of it. We could have all the system down, and that's all right. We could know everything that we ought to know, and I'm for that. I want our folks to know. I believe that God's people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. The Bible says that. And I want them. I have a passion for teaching the generation now and the upcoming generation to know the Lord. I want the kids at this age, I want them to come up with a heart for God and a knowledge of God so when the deception comes towards them, they'll recognize what it is because they will be so full of truth that they'll know what's right and have a love for God and that'll be the reason for following the Lord. But we need to be devout. Maybe you know that word, devout. Usually it's attached to religion. They're devout this or devout that. But the idea of being devout in this sense, it's only used nine times in the Bible. And the word, this is the first time it shows up in the Bible. And the word devout, when it shows up, is dealing with a heart of worship and a heart towards the one that you follow. You've heard of someone being devoted. Someone says, they were a devoted husband. What's that mean? They very much loved their wife, tried to take care of her. She was a devoted wife. What she do? She very much tried to take care of her husband and loved him. They were a devoted mother, a devoted father. Perhaps some of us could speak that language about some relatives we have. They were devoted this way and that way. Uh, what they do? That they were in their heart. I believe my mom was a devoted mother. Um, she didn't make idols out of us kids. Whoa, no, not at all. Uh, we, we, but at the same time, you know, as my brother said on that day down in Kentucky, we buried my mom, and I had just finished preaching her graveside service, and he and I were walking down along the hill in Moore Cemetery there, and he just he and I talking, and he pointed up where where my, where we just had the service for my mom, and he said, "We're burying today the only person in this world that I knew for sure loves me." That's a strong statement, isn't it? Devoted. Well, let's be devoted to God. What a powerful combination. He was just. He had character, integrity. You could count on Him. The Holy Spirit could rest upon Him because He was a clean vessel and a vessel that one had God, but He was also devout. It was not just form for Him. It was not just emotion. You may be at some point in time in your life where you 
you just show up to church because that's what you're supposed to do as a Christian. And may, may your integrity carry you through that dry time. Because sometimes just showing up is what keeps you, keeps you on the right track. But that's not where you want to live in Devon. And that's not what God wants for you in Devon. There may be times when that's why you do what you do. There may be times when you read the Bible because you say, oh yeah, we're reading the Bible this month. This is my thing over here. But that's not where God wants you to live. He wants you to be just and devout. It's a tremendous combination. It's a heart towards God as well as integrity that goes along with it. <laughs> when he took Christ up in his arms, verse 28, and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace, according to thy word. You know what he said? I've seen God's salvation. God sustained me. I'm ready to go. What a tremendous, tremendous position to get into. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to be just. He wants you to be devout. And love God. <laughs> it's so funny. When I was in Bible college, we had some pretty strict rules. There weren't issues of morality. There was actually a wisdom behind that because our Bible college was predominantly for training pastors. That was the predominant theme of the college. Well, as a pastor, I don't have somebody checking to see what time I'm showing up for work. I, I don't have somebody uh, saying, okay, you have to do this now, and you have to do this now, and you have to do this now. You say, aren't there churches like that? None I'd be involved with. But that's just not it. It's not how it works. And within the freedom of leading the congregation, it is a wonderful thing if early on those who are going to do that are helped to be taught and helped to learn self-discipline that causes them to be very careful with their time, make sure that they always give to the church above and beyond what might be expected in service, and to do those things which would be honoring to God. And so with that, in our college, there were some rules that were just kind of, if you just looked at them as the rules, they were kind of harebrained. Now there were some, I think, were just harebrained. But, but there were some that had to do with discipline because not everybody was coming from the same sort of background. And I don't, I'm not talking doctrine here, just not everybody came in had had job responsibilities and had taken care of themselves already and all that. Some were coming out were very much, and I, I'm not saying put down, but they came from a little more where mom and dad did more of the things in the house and they had not had their own more adult responsibilities for getting there. And they acted differently at times. But, you know, I still remember one of the ones people would fuss about a lot was you had to sign in and sign out at certain times in the dorm. Did they have that, Sean? Okay. <laughs> Look. I'd lived on my own 1,250 miles away from home when I was 17 years old. I'd been acting as an adult for a good while by the time I got there. I said, well, didn't that, didn't that bother you? Honestly, it didn't. I missed it a few times. It's because I'm running around here. But 
You say, David, I, I literally saw guys, they were going to take a great stand against this. And I'm thinking, nobody made you come here. Nobody's told you this makes you right with God or not right with God. You want to be here. You want what's taught in the discipline. Here's what goes with that. Yeah. I got to believe it. I signed up for Marines. That's why sir, tell me what to do. If you want to be a part of this, this is what this is about. If you don't want to, that's fine. There's nobody ever thought that you had to go to Bible college in order to be a master. You know? And and I would look at that, and yet there were other folks. You know what they did? They're like, they knew that wasn't the issue. You know what the issue was? They wanted to do something for God. And anything that might help them do that better in their life, all right. They may or may not decide to go with it. Maybe they wouldn't. If they were running something, they might not run it that way. But you know what? For right now, if this discipline, if this training, if this, if this organization of doing things helps me later to serve better, then why not? Do you know why? Because you have a heart you want to go do something. You ever throw a fit or pick it? You not say Was it a big deal, dude? I guess you're just weak-minded and don't have your own opinion about things in life, right? Is that pretty much right for you? Now, that's a weak illustration. But I'm trying to point to something with it. How much more, with that weak illustration, how much more, when our God's been so good to us, we just have devotion? And He doesn't have to sign in and sign out and all that sort of stuff. That, that's... That's training of the flesh to do something. That's training to come out of immaturity of youth into adult responsibility. That's, that's something different. But the devotion to God, is, we don't get upset by it. We want to be just, but why? Because that honor is God. We want to do things the right way. We want to be clean and decent. We want to obey what God has. We find something in the Scripture, we're like, that's neat. That's what God likes. I want to do it. That's devotion. What ends up happening, here Simeon is, he's got baby Jesus in his arms, and he's saying, it's God's salvation. That had to be an absolutely amazing thing. As long as he'd been waiting, as much as he apparently knew about the Scripture, to think that he could... Hold this one in his arms. This isn't a great conquering king. It's a little baby. And the fact that God could come in that form and do such a mighty work. And God did his mightiest work for his apparent weakness. Just and devout. May God help us to have the integrity of being just. But may God help us always to have a heart that's devout towards him. And why do the right thing? Because God wants to be honored. I'm doing it for God. I told you that this morning. Why do the right thing? It's for God. It's for God. Some of you sitting here looking at me right now, you've had family members which have given you a little hard time. Does your preacher make you go to church all the time? Does he make... You've heard that language, haven't you? Some of you have had him said right to your face. You've talked to me about it. And one of the hardest things for you to get to... Oh, I want to be there. I want to hear the Word of God. Your preacher make him. To me, that's, excuse me, I know I've said before, but that's hilarious. If they think that you actually could make somebody do something. It's hilarious. And who wants to anyway? That's crazy. (laughs) 
That's the love of God. That's the love of God. We do the right thing because God's, God's right. We'll grow if we do. That's what I have for you tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your people. Thank you so much for willingness to listen and learn and be taught. Help us, Lord, to, to do the things the right way and for the right reasons. God, may we have a heart toward you that uh, translates to our living in a way that's pleasing to you. God, uh, <laughs> we get in our own way a whole lot, it seems like, Lord. Help us have our eyes upon you so we can be more like you. Ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. This is